kids, you are dismissed. Everybody else, good morning. It is a good morning indeed. My name is Justin. I am one of the pastors here, one of the elders here. Uniquely, my role is to be sent out to plant another church here in the city. And by the grace of God, we've done just that. New City Fellowship is just three months away from launching. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I praise God. That's by your contribution, by your prayers, by your partnering with us. That is the reality of what is happening, that there is another church uh, blossoming. The the imagery we're using is just cracking the soil, uh, coming out. Um, And so uh, we're just grateful for that. I am standing in for Pastor Steve, who uh, his grandmother went to bed Sunday night and woke up Monday morning uh, dressed in the arms of her Savior. And so Pastor Steve is up in West Virginia with his family, uh, tending to his mother, serving them, being present with them. And so y'all have me, and I'm very sorry about that, but... It was a good series in Colossians. We were just ramping up. But our text for today, we're going to jump into. So are you ready to study your Bibles? All right, cool. This morning, we don't turn to Colossians uh, because the next set of verses in our study through Colossians, Pastor Steve really wanted to preach. And so he asked me if, if my grandmother passes and this is the set of verses that is next, don't preach those verses. I really want to preach those verses. So I said, okay, fine. So uh, <laughs> instead, we are going to be in Mark's gospel, uh, chapter 1. And, 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 and here's why. The, the next set of verses in Colossians, in our study on Colossians, the next set of verses talk about the preeminence of Christ. In other words, the superiority or the supremacy or the greatness of Jesus. And so I want to still... Look at that topic, look at that lens, but through a different text. I want us to look at a text that will allow us to see the greatness of Jesus on full display just the same. And so Mark chapter 1 is where we'll be. And as you get there, if you're there already, I'm just going to frame up our time. The book of Mark is, uh, by large accounts, the first gospel account written. It's also the shortest one, but it is the foundation on which Matthew and Luke write their gospel accounts. Mark has a very particular style of writing. He writes very quickly at breakneck speed, moving from scene to scene, but with beautiful and focused intentionality for the reader to see, and this is his hope, this is his goal in writing his gospel, that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and he has ushered in a new kingdom, a new way of life altogether. That's Mark's point. Mark's point in a highly politicized community that he's writing to is that Jesus offers and has brought with him a whole new way. Mark writes to the Roman Christians of the first century church, and by extension this morning to you and I, to prove to us, to prove to them that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but the King of Kings. 
He is a king unlike any other king or leader or ruler or president or governor that you and I are familiar with. Jesus is the ultimate king coming down to usher in a kingdom and to call a people who are in desperate need of that kingdom's reality to be citizens of it and live in such a way that mirrors the king with heart-filled devotion to him and his ways. I know that's a mouthful. Kim, uh, Tim Keller says it much simpler. He says, we are to be passionate in making Jesus the absolute goal and priority to orbit ourselves around him. Our text this morning closes the first chapter of Mark, which emphasizes, that chapter emphasizes the kingship and greatness of Jesus, but he closes the chapter with a real life scenario, a real moment in history, something That actually happened. Jesus enters Galilee. He kind of takes Peter's house and makes it his house in Capernaum. And and then he, he just begins to flex his authority with his words and with his actions. And we see the heart of Jesus all throughout Mark 1 in, uh, exemplified in his authority over earthly and physical tangible things, but also in spiritual, invisible, deep things. But in this scene, what we'll find is the tender, caring, compassionate love of our king who cares about the big and the small. So after some time of retreat away from everyone, refreshed by the communion with the Father, we see Jesus ready to continue his mission of preaching and casting out demons. And in the middle of this work, moving from place to place, area to area, he stopped by someone, a man with leprosy. And this moment, this interaction with this leper to Mark is hugely significant for the reader, for us, to see and understand. It's like Mark is trying to get us to see something in the words of the leper as he begs for Jesus to make him clean. So I want to title our time this morning under the leper's plea. Make me clean. And we will see Jesus not just preach to us, by his word, but live it with his action and compassion. As Jesus is the primary subject of our study, there's two points I want to highlight in this little interaction. The first is that Jesus is willing and able. Willing and able. And the second is more of an observation. What happens when the clean touches the unclean? Willing and able, and what happens when the clean touches the unclean. If you are able, could you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And then once we're done reading, I want to invite you to pray for me as I pray for you. As together we hear what thus says the Lord. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. And it reads like this. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. 
moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, there is so much this morning, so much that we have already experienced today that has testified to us, preached to us your love and your care for us. From the sun shining to our children laughing to getting here safely. Father, the reality is, the truth is, that in the reading of your word, you have just spoken to us. Through your word, you have just told us this story of your son. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive it, minds that understand its implications. And would you gift me as the preacher with clarity of speech and thought? And would you gift the congregation with attentiveness and grace for my errors? In Christ Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Eighteen sixty eight was the year. Bergen, Norway was the place where a man named Gerard Henrik Armoir Henson returned to his hometown after the country of Normandy as uh, Norway, sorry, as a whole, was fighting a vicious battle with leprosy. It was the hardest hit country in Europe at the time. 25 people of every thousand were infected with the disease that little was known about at the time. With Henson and other notable doctors coming to do research there, uh, Bergen became sort of the epicenter for leprosy research. And after many years of research and quite literally scandal after scandal, Henson finally concluded in 1873 that leprosy was caused by a bacteria. This discovery eventually gave way to leprosy being completely curable today. Now, the reality of Henson's disease today is not the reality of leprosy at the time of Jesus. There was no disease in Jesus's time that was more feared uh, at this time. Maybe you're familiar with it, but if you aren't, essentially 
what would happen to a leper is nodes would form on your hands and feet and face and they would fill with pus and they would grow big and big and big and eventually burst and what would be left is a disfigurement sort of uh, that would take place and then your extremities kind of like your fingers and toes would begin to to lose their feeling you would become desensitized to the to the uh, excruciating pain you were feeling initially now you don't feel it anymore and then your limbs would quite literally fall off and then you would wither and wither and die that is what leprosy was like they were called the walking dead essentially what the bacteria attacks is your nervous system and so like i said it begins with physical pain but eventually you can't feel anything in the infected areas It's there, but not to your body. But that wasn't the worst part, I would argue. The worst part, I would argue, is that you were cut off from all life. You couldn't live in town or work. You had to live outside the city walls, in leper camps, just waiting for your impending doom all by yourself. You were considered uh, socially, spiritually unclean. You weren't allowed within 50 feet of a clean person. If you were to venture into the city walls, you had to announce your coming. You would have to shout, unclean, unclean, so that people who were clean were able to keep their distance from you. Sometimes the smell of a leper's decaying flesh could be smelled way before the mandatory pronouncement of his coming was made. I mean, think about this family. For the leper, it's it's already a great stress to deal with what's going on in their body. It's already of great, of significant mental and emotional toll that's happening to their body. And out of fear, the societal and cultural construction of what to do with lepers just created embarrassment and humiliation. Lepers couldn't even go to the temple, to the church. There are some historical records that show us that there were some lenient rabbis, some synagogues who would allow it, but what would happen is they would have to come really early before everybody else and get there and stand behind a black curtain. And then they would have to wait for everyone to leave and everyone to leave around the campus of the church so that they could exit without infecting anyone. Why does Mark have this story in such great an emphasis? Why does he record this specific moment in Jesus' life and ministry of all the things Jesus did? And we know from John's gospel that there was so much that he did, not one book could contain all of it. Mark chose this interaction, this encounter. Why record this miracle? Right at the introduction of the book, right at the end of the first chapter. 
I mean, just before, if you read, and we studied Mark's gospel a couple years ago, but if you haven't, if you weren't there for that study, if you're familiar with Mark's gospel, just before, we read about a good healing, right? Peter's mother-in-law, bedridden with a fever and a headache, and Jesus comes, closes the door, nobody's there, and he just holds her hand and says, get up. Such, such a gentle healing, such an intimate moment. And then we have this. This feels different, right? And then when you read the Gospels and you examine them closely, what you'll find in moments like these, in the performing of miracles, is that Jesus heals in ways to communicate a message. And it's on that point, I want to build my case before you this morning. What is the communication here Mark wants us to see? And to answer that, we must look deeper than the surface. What is so significant about the leper? I like how R.C. Trench puts it. He says, the leper represents an outward visible sign of the inmost spiritual corruption. In other words, leprosy and all its implication at this time in history stands as a symbol of sin and its destructive force. This is the case always in the text. I'll give you uh, uh, an Old Testament example. Leprosy was always seen as the judgment of God for sin. Second Kings chapter five, a man called Naaman is the commander of the Syrian army and he was a leper. And there's this little girl that comes up to him and tells him, hey, there's a prophet in Israel by the name of Elisha and his God can heal you. So Naaman summons Elijah to come to Syria. So that his God would heal him. And Elisha ain't going all the way to Syria. So Elisha sends one of his uh, servants. Elisha gives very clear instructions to the servant. This is what you're going to do so that his leprosy may be healed. And so that God gets all the glory. And so the servant goes. And he comes up to Elisha and he tells him, dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan River and Yahweh will heal your leprosy. You, actually, he doesn't even use the word heal. He uses the word cleansed fast forward some and the brother is for sure cleansed he's physically healed in that the leprosy was healed but there's something else spiritually he's been cleansed he is now a Syrian and a devout follower of Yahweh Naaman offers the servant some money Clothes, food, land, cattle. I mean, just about everything as a thank you. And at first the servant says no, but eventually he, he buckles. He's like, yeah, I'll take it all. Let me get some of that. And so he returns to Elisha with all these goodies with him. And Elisha says, brother, you've sinned. You've taken payment. For an act of God's sovereign grace. Second Kings 5 chapter 26. Elisha said to him. Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept 
money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. In other words, Elijah asked his servant, why'd you take all of that? Why did you serve yourself when you were sent to serve God and serve this brother? And so in verse 27, he says, therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. When you have that context, when you have that context, you understand that it wasn't merely ignorance that was causing fear of leprosy. In Jewish culture, undoubtedly there was some there for sure, but there was mostly a long historically connected view of it as the judgment of God against sin. When we look back to Mark's text, it's not only that this leper is the living embodiment of his spiritual condition, it's that he represents all of us here this morning. You and I are the leper. All of us need the cleansing, not just the healing, but the cleansing work of Jesus. This distinction is important. Family, I need you to be with me together as we see the goal of this text. While it is true that Jesus cares very passionately and very deeply about the effects of sin, The physical plights of his people. In other words, he cares very deeply about poverty. He cares very deeply about the sicknesses and maladies that malign us. He cares very deeply about injustices and oppression. But more than any of that, what Mark is mainly trying to communicate here is that he cares for your spiritual liberation. So much so. That almost every time Jesus or anybody for that matter heals in the Bible, it's deeper than just the physical healing. There's a supernatural, deeply spiritual work happening also. Family, know this to be true, that in this story, you and me are the leper. We need cleansing. I said before, leprosy begins with pain. So does our sin, no? See, leprosy's pain is in the physical. But our sin causes spiritual pain in us. Family, think on this. Have you never felt the burden of your sinfulness press upon your soul in painful ways? I don't see much head nods, so I'm going to get to you in a second. But have you ever felt drowned by the weight of your sin? Maybe because the consequences of it were so heavy. Maybe because there's some guilt there. But what I'm talking about is true and honest, painful conviction of it. Does your sin cause you pain? God, I hope so. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when your hand is in the oven and your body tells you it's hot. That is the kindness of God. 
The pain should tell you something. The pain is bringing your heart and mind awareness to the reality of your sin, which should then lead you to confession. But maybe you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, you know, pastor, I don't feel that with my sin anymore. I'm aware of it, like I'm aware of the fact of it. Like I'm aware of the fact that the oven is hot. But you know, I'm kind of just living with it. Family, in all the love I bear you, and I promise you, I love you more than you know. The leper after long does not feel his pain anymore. He does not feel his falling limbs and the withering of his body. But I promise you, he's aware of it. Desensitization and jadedness of your sin, that's not a mark of growth. That's not spiritual maturity. That's that's not transformation. You're in bad shape. You're in real bad shape when your sin doesn't burn. And if that's you, family, let's get awkward. I want to do two things. Right now, close your eyes with me. You know what? Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's make this a safe place. If that's you this morning, you're struggling with that desensitization. Repeat this prayer after me. And and I only say that because I want to give you a blueprint on where to go so that you can pray this every day. I don't think there's any magic in the prayer. No, no, no. no. I'm I'm just trying to teach you. I'm trying to model for you. So that you can do this every day. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your mind. Knowing y'all, y'all probably gonna say it in your mind, but that's okay. But here it is, ready? Father, please. I beg you. Let me not just be aware of my shortcomings and sins. But let me once again feel the weight, the pain, the agony of them like a disciplined child. Let me feel the effect of my sin in your discipline and love. And let me realize that I have never left your loving arms. Let me realize I am safely in your hand. Holy Ghost, help me confess. Help me repent. Help me see. For Jesus' glory and my good. Amen. Here's the second thing I want you to do. 
find somebody in this place. And I know you ain't going to do this. And, and, and shame on you. Like, honestly, I'm not even joking. Find somebody in this place. And get with them. And ask them to get with you over the phone. Or to get with you in person. To pray this prayer with you. To bear this thing with you. And I'm going to be real with you. And you're not going to like this. And you're going to disagree with me. But I don't care. There's nothing in your schedule. There's nothing in their schedule. More important than this. Find somebody. And if they judge you, come to me. And I'll enact church discipline. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm an elder. Don't test me. All right, let's come back. We all need the cleansing work of Jesus. But listen, in the words of this text, there is good news for us. Amen. No. There we go. Jesus says himself. Verse 40. And a leper came to him imploring and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. You need to understand that this leper had no illusion about who he was and what his plight meant. He had all of society to remind him and he had to make the pronouncement himself wherever he went. At the same time, he had no illusion about who Jesus was. Jesus had been getting pretty popular at the time. So this man who had a physical uh, plight connected to his spiritual reality knows that who's walking towards him is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He knows that he's a rabbi. He knows that he's the cleanliest of cleans. Uh, He, the leper, has to become audacious in this moment. He has to step into the invitation that this moment is providing him with to be brave. All church, in the presence of God, may you find courage to cry out when you need help. May you see, church, the opportunity that a sovereign God provides you with to step into the bravery of the Holy Spirit and cry out and deal with your sin. See, the leper knows that to even greet or acknowledge a leper makes you spiritually unclean. If a leper were to stick his head inside your house window, he just made your whole house and everybody in it, your entire household, unclean. There's so much at stake here. The leper knows that this man not only has the power to heal him, he has the authority to cleanse him. To not just take off his malady, but his sinfulness. He had confidence in Christ's ability. But what I need you to see in his plea is that he had no idea about Christ's willingness to do it. You hearing me? And so he comes to Jesus with all humility, with all the courage he could find. And he says, he does not ask. He declares, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the reply he gets is a surprise to him. 
the reply he gets teaches him a deeper thing about the Jesus he thinks he knows. I just said he knew Jesus had power. Them stories been traveling. He knew Jesus had authority. What he didn't know if Jesus would do it. If he cared to do it. Jesus says, I am willing and I am able. Oh, church, you can sit here and act like you didn't need to hear that this morning. But I'll confess for my sin, for my malady, I need a savior who is not just able, but willing. I need a savior who is not just all powerful, but all loving. And praise be to God that who I have is Jesus Christ. Family, take this with you this morning. You have a God who has communicated his heart towards you. You have a God who cares, a God who is not only able and praise God enough for that. He's not only able to take on your physical need, but he's able to take on your sin. But not just that, he's willing. Oh, I wish I had someone in here who knew what this meant. The leper. Leprosy is a representation of God's judgment on sin. You and I are lepers battling with leprosy. Our only hope, our only confidence, our only way out is a God who is not just able. He's willing. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, church, our king is not a king who is unable to do the work to save his people, nor is he a king who is dispassionately looking down with all his might and ability and says, no, thank you. King Jesus is able and King Jesus is willing and he will act on your behalf and mine to the praise of his glorious grace. Oh, but that's not all. Verse 41 moved with pity. The text says he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. You have a God who says and always says, I will be clean. Can't you feel that? Can't you feel the weight of that? That your God to everything says, I can and I will. Oh, oh, family, and these these are words that preside over you this morning. And we know Jesus was filled with deep emotion. Mark says with pity, but the Greek here is compassion. He has compassion for this man's suffering and for mine and for yours. And he touches him. Oh, you ain't got to be a theologian to understand this. He touches him. He touches us. And he says, I'm able and I will. I love that Jesus is handsy. He's got to be Latin. He loves touching people. All right. You read the Gospels, Peter's mother-in-law, the leper, the little girl in chapter five, the sick in chapter six, the deaf man in chapter seven, the blind man in chapter eight, all the children in chapter nine. Look, there was never any need for Jesus to touch anybody. No? 
Could he not just heal with his voice? Oftentimes, it was the faith of the other person. Jesus didn't even have to do anything. Your faith made you well. Go on, get up. He could have always just healed. But he touched them. Oh, this this denotes a mark of affection. He touched because he was glad too. You read the text, he didn't flinch. The leper came kneeling to him. He could have been like, hey. Touches him. In his humanity, he loves to touch those who need him. To touch this leper is just as audacious as it was for the leper to call out to him. The leper wanted to call on the help of Jesus. And Jesus wanted to show his willingness and sympathy, not just with his voice, with his action. I want to do this. The leper hasn't touched anyone in so long. To touch is literally the scariest thing in the world at the time. You got to understand that. We come in on Halloween time. It's pretty scary outside. What we just read in Jewish context is horrifying. Jesus doesn't think twice. That's the difference between gospel and religion. Religion in this passage says, don't do this, don't do that. You can't greet a leper. You can't talk to a leper. You most certainly can't touch a leper. All of that makes you unclean. But is Jesus unclean, church? No, that's okay. That's okay. Footballs will be on when you get on, I promise. This is the first time something unclean touches something clean. And the unclean is now made clean. It's not a contradiction of law. It's a fulfillment of it. Jesus isn't breaking the religious cycle. He's completing it. In other words, Jesus says with his actions, your uncleanliness has touched my cleanliness. Now you're clean. But that's not all. And immediately the text says in verse 42, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Do you see it, church, that what Jesus tends to do often and regularly is find the dirty, the broken, the sinful, the people nobody wants at all and calls them to himself. And he makes the dirty clean, the broken, whole, the sinful, saints, the rejected, heirs. That is your king and mine. Mark is writing this, brothers and sisters, to you and to me, that King Jesus is for us, that the Savior is for us, that the healings are for us, that the teachings are for us, that the wilderness conquered was for us, that the I am willing be clean is for us. He didn't just remove the leprosy, he cleansed him. He bore the sinfulness of that man. He didn't become, he didn't become sin in this moment. But he was reminded of the cost. It took to heal this man. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Leprosy, the judgment of God for sin, it slowly deteriorates the body to to death. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to take that death. This is your sin. It's not mine. Jesus has no sin. But by his touch, by his presence, he takes the pronouncement of death that was meant for us away. That's the willingness of Jesus. I'm going to take that death. I'm going to take that sin so you can have access to the Father. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus died for the lepers, us, so that we may be lepers no more. And we have now in him all of his fullness that we can feel the pain from our sin confess it and turn away in repentance so that we might rest in him have confidence confident assurance of his promises over us praise God for his ability praise God for his willingness and praise God that when the clean touches the unclean it doesn't corrupt the clean but the clean purifies the unclean our sin is not too much for him his goodness and mercy and grace is far too great for our sin. If you're not a believer in this room, that's Jesus. This compassionate, lovely Jesus, he's for you this morning. And it is my hope that he's already begun a work in you by drawing your attention toward him. May you see feel the weight, the dirtiness, the darkness of your sin and find that even still he's calling you to be his, inviting you to a life surrounded by people doing the same thing, repenting, turning away from sin, confessing our need for grace and running into the arms of the Savior. Last little bit and I'll close. 43, it's a bit interesting ending to this story. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing, what Moses commanded for proof of it. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This family helps us see a few things. I'll try and be brief here. The first thing we see in this group of text messages, text messages, in this text, sorry, my brain is already trying to hustle. The first thing we see here is that Jesus is the law fulfiller and not the law abolisher. If Jesus wanted to abolish the law of Moses, he would have told the man, go on and go about your way. He would have told him, forget about practicing the Levitical law uh, from chapters 13 and 14, the Mosaic laws, which the leper knew. Jesus says to the man, you're cleansed, but I still need you to follow the rules. Present yourselves to the priest. Okay. So the leper is not the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is. Second thing, he told him to be silent. Why? Well, anytime a great miracle is performed, and became public knowledge of more than just the people who were there. Crowds would gather around him for days. Last time, 
literally, last time Jesus was in the synagogue, he was preaching. He was in that thing, exegeting the text. And then a demon possessed man came up and Jesus cast out the demon and everybody left the synagogue, told everybody. And then the whole town was knocking on Peter's door, talking about, I need healing. I need healing. I need healing. But see, he didn't just cast out demons in the synagogue. He preached. Ain't nobody knocking on Peter's door going, man, my soul needs some encouragement today. Jesus, can you give me something from Isaiah? No. They all showed up with give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. They wanted Jesus to make their problems go away. They wanted to use him like a like a genie. Jesus tells them, tells the crowd the next morning, he says, I didn't come to heal. Came to preach. Third thing we see are the products of one and two. This man goes out and he tells and it's Capernaum all over again, but it's a hundred times worse. It's not a town coming to use him. It's regions and regions. And they're not there to hear, repent and believe but to use Jesus as a means to get to their ends. They wanted a Messiah to deliver them from Rome, but not from their sin. They wanted a Messiah to heal their sicknesses, but not call them to repent. They wanted a Messiah who feeds their stomachs, but not their souls. Family, take this. The reality of sin, the effects of sin, is the inability to see past your own intentions. This is why we see such incredible drop-offs from the faith. Because you can only walk the walk and talk the talk for so long. You can only pretend for so long. It's not until you see Jesus, as the words of that beautiful song says, as an anchor to the ground, as, as, as hope and firm foundation, that's when you know you've been cleansed. When the reality of you being able to drift away, when the reality of you only seeing Jesus for what you can get is made clear, you can fight against those, then you know you can say those things with seriousness. Church, may the healing of the leper preach to you this morning that Jesus cares about your physical plights, but he cares more for your soul. He cares more for your citizenship in the kingdom because when you are a citizen, you are worshiping him, something real, something true, something sure, a king, a true king of a real kingdom to which you and I belong, a king who loves you so much that he came to serve you by offering himself in place for your sins. Family, let the leper preach to you this morning that if you haven't placed your faith in this king while you you are the walking dead the leper you likely this morning don't feel the pain of your sin but you know it intellectually I tell you friend knowledge is not enough you need to feel that pain my prayer is uh, uh, that you are beginning right now to feel honestly feel its destructiveness feel its weight like a weighted vest 
pulling you under the water of judgment and wrath. And if you can't, can you cry out to God and say, make me feel it. And then once you feel it, let the leper preach to you once more that when you shout to Jesus, he can make you clean, that he is willing to make you clean, that he is able to make you clean, that he is worthy of giving praise to and honor to and glory to because he can't just do it. He wants to stand with me and worship.